This is from Luke 24, 13 through 35. I am reading from the NRSV, um, though I might change some words here and there to be closer to the original Greek. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And talking with each other about all these things that had happened, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us, shocked us, they were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he, Jesus said to them, you idiots, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, all scripture, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, with them. He took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us 
while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scripture to us, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the road, and how Jesus had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. Will you join with me in prayer? O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be ignited for the revolutionary change that you preach and taught and give to us, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Communities change. I would argue that communities fundamentally change every time new people come in, particularly when new leaders are welcomed. But even when we welcome those who have no desire to be a part of leadership, perhaps one of the challenges that congregations have when calling new pastors, uh, as you all have done and perhaps are finding out, um, is finding a pastor that fits well with the congregation. One of the comics that I have long found entertaining shows a search committee, and they are expressing that they hope to find a young minister who will enthusiastically lead them to never changing. Except that we know that change is necessary for a community not only to survive, but to thrive. One of the things that I love about Portsmouth Union Church is how welcoming to change PUC is. For example, uh, I put down a labyrinth for Good Friday, and I haven't heard one complaint about uh, how the masking tape will ruin the carpet. Uh, I'm glad I got some laughs there. That was... <laughs> Uh, Portsmouth Union Church is a community that is made up of people from various walks of life. While many do live in Portsmouth and St. John's communities, we indeed have members from uh, wider than that. Uh, for example, I couldn't find housing in um, either of our neighborhoods, and so I live in Lloyd. Uh, only 13 minutes away, but it's in Lloyd. Uh, <laughs> And some people don't even live in Portland at all. Some are joining us from uh, much wider, uh, Eastern Oregon or beyond. So we honor, um, we honor all those who are, who are joining us from wherever they might be. Um, all are important and all are part of this community. We honor our transgender and non-binary members as well as our cisgender members, our lesbian, bisexual, and gay members, as well as our heterosexual members, our poor members, and our wealthy members. Uh, 
set of fluent, it doesn't matter, either way. Uh, <laughs> everyone here gets uh, to be part of uh, uh, the life and who we are at PUC uh, and what this church is. And that's a beautiful thing, right? So I think the purpose of the end of uh, the Gospel of St. Luke is to bring many voices together to form one community. One might say that this is a storytelling festival, similar to the festival of, uh, festival of homiletics, which will be coming up next month, um, and as a focus on preaching and explores various ways of uh, storytellers coming together for the purpose of enriching one another's grasp of and telling of Scripture. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, we have voices from the women, from the 11 disciples in Jerusalem, and the two disciples on the way back to Emmaus, one of which may have been a woman. Uh, there is tension that can be felt in this community. The two don't believe the women that were at the tomb. And I don't have much reason to believe that the 11 do either until Jesus shows back up. Again, as prior to the part of the chapter, uh, Peter is marveling about what he saw in the empty tomb. Just doesn't get it. Where did Jesus go? Still not certain of what happened. And all of the disciples together believe that Jesus to be a spirit when Jesus appears among them in Jerusalem, immediately after the section in the chapter. If you go on and read further, it's say, Oh, was that a spirit? It is quite expectantly a community caught in chaos. For their leader, their rabbi, uh, their, the expectant Christ to be killed in such a terrible manner through state-sanctioned murder is really horrifying. So the community to be caught in some deep confusion is reflective of the reality that they are struggling with. Jesus, however, upsets realities. Reality says that people who are alive don't come back from the dead. Yet the disciples saw that in Lazarus, and again are being pushed to see that in Jesus. Reality for first century men says that women don't know what they're talking about. But Jesus appeared first to the women. Reality says that if someone you've learned at the knee of, and who knows you well enough to call you an idiot in a manner that was normal for the teacher-student relationship in first century. And yet, for the purposes of this story, the two on their way to Emmaus don't recognize Jesus. Now, see, Jesus upsets the reality of these two not recognizing him which falls into the tradition that Dr. Thomas Boomershine of gotel.org calls trickster tradition. The trickster tradition reaches back to Jacob, who disguises himself from Isaac, Joseph from his brothers, King David from 
King Ashik of Gath, and Jesus does this to playfully unveil the foolishness and lack of understanding of the two disciples on their way back to Emmaus. The interaction that plays out on the way to Emmaus is fascinating. The two who are headed back insult the women by essentially saying, you can't trust what a woman says. They put down Jesus by essentially saying, you must be the only person who doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem. And the translation that is offered for Jesus' response to all of this has been softened by a lot. Perhaps it's translators not wanting to put polarizing words into Jesus' mouth. The Greek translates ought as, uh, as it is written in your NRSV Bibles of you're being so foolish, but rather you fools or you idiots, which is why I read it the way you heard it. But that was something that can be seen in the relationships between many students and teachers in first century, particularly in the Greek world who Luke is telling his story to. It's intended to be something that the first century listener would have found honestly funny. Uh, it humorously answers the issues that various factions of Jesus' followers may have been wrestling with, which included just why didn't Jesus throw off the heel of Roman oppression, and why did he instead die? The answer, I think, is that the Jesus is not, and this Jesus, is not a conquering ruler, but rather a suffering servant. Even in the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't say that the Messiah is supposed to suffer. That, however, is the interpretation that Luke's Jesus seems to reframe things into. This whole story seems to be a reframing of things. You are ridiculous if you don't believe women. You are ridiculous if you don't see Jesus in your presence. And I think that it's really interesting that it's not the hospitality of the Messiah, even though he takes, blesses, and breaks the bread. Instead, it is two individuals who are outside of the larger community who offer that hospitality. These two disciples who may have been lovers and have for a very long time been seen as a representative of the queer community in relation to the larger Christian community offer Jesus hospitality. They insist on having Jesus at their table. They invite him inside. It is there at the table where community is being created that Jesus takes, blesses, breaks, and gives the bread. That Eucharistic formula, those words that directly point to communion. There the two see Jesus again. Then just as quickly as they see Jesus, he disappears. Perhaps the two were familiar with other Greek stories of the recently dead appearing 
to their students. But they don't seem surprised by this. I don't know about you, but I'd be really surprised if my dead teacher shows up at my door, says, hey, um, I'm going to go walking. And I said, no, no, let's go in and have some food. Um, my teacher then does communion. And as soon as communion happens, disappears. I would find that a little unnerving. But they don't. They're not surprised by this at all. Instead of asking, how did Jesus do this? They point to the what. Weren't our hearts burning? Or to borrow from Wesley, weren't our hearts strangely warmed? And their response to seeing Jesus is to make the very immediate and very dangerous, because it's nighttime now, trip back to Jerusalem. Robert Egos, minister in the Metropolitan Community Church, said in the Queer Bible Commentary, many trans, les, bi, gay folk feel out of place within many churches since those churches have taken Jesus away from them and crucified him and preached the news of not worshiping God with their bodies. The risen Jesus is not the possession of the community, but abides in the word of Scripture, in the bread broken, and queer embodied lives. He tells this story. In Michigan, a man named David wanted his union of 12 years with John blessed by a representative of God before they died. David lay on the couch while Jim, a gay Presbyterian minister who also has AIDS, moved his hands to the silent sounds of peace. He spoke nourishing words of blessing on these two lives bound by God's grace. Those whom God has joined together, let no one put asunder. And then as the minister began to celebrate communion, for those who were present, he spoke the familiar words, this is my body broken for you. And at that, that was the point at which David died. Do this in remembrance of me. Goss encourages queer Christians who encounter Jesus out in the world and in the community. And whether you're queer or not, I encourage you when you encounter Jesus to come back to church, to share with other Christians in the community the experiences that you have had and where you have seen Christ. When those who are on the margins, whether that's margins of sexuality and gender or margins in, regarding, uh, in regards to housing and poverty, are fully and warmly welcomed into the community of the faithful, we are allowed to have their voices heard and our community grows. Yeah, it changes. But that's part of being on the way. In the first century, Jewish Christ followers referred to their movement as the way. This was likely a reference to the scripture from Isaiah that says, prepare the way of the Lord. This included a dedication to serving to and with the poor and was characterized by leadership of women in house churches. Even today, 
we have the opportunity to embrace a movement that is dedicated to bringing about wholeness in the world and inviting all to the table. That is what it means to me to be on the way, to take care of the poor and let them take care of us in cooperative ministry, to hear the voice of the marginalized and welcome their leadership, to embrace all, all who would come and walk this way with us, to be voices in the wilderness, crying out for deep and lasting change. This is the way. Amen.